Hello, and welcome to Dr. M's Women and Children First podcast. I'm your host, Dr. M, and this is episode number 22. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Michael Gay. I met Michael a few weeks back at a men's retreat called Man Uncivilized. It was an absolute pleasure to spend some time with him and really pick his brain for what he thinks about the current state of men in the United States and in the world and forms of therapy that are beneficial for all of us to become better versions of ourselves moving forward. Michael is a therapist in private practice in Boulder, Colorado. He earned his master's degree in clinical mental health counseling from Naropa University with a focus in transpersonal psychology. Michael has worked in the field of counseling for the last 14 years as a guide, therapist, and trainer. He was a wilderness therapy guide for six years, leading and facilitating deep transformational work with teens primarily as well as adults and families in the mountains as well as the high desert. He's also worked extensively in the field of addiction and recovery. He specializes in work with depression, trauma, PTSD, grief, and family help. He currently co-creates with other leaders in the field, bringing men together for transformational experiences, brotherhood, healing, and empowerment. In addition to his master's, Michael completed a three-year training at the Gestalt Institute of the Rockies and continues to train at the Gestalt Equine Institute. Those are his accolades, but what Michael really is is a deep thinker, a man who is at his best going through the ideas in his mind about what it is to be the best versions of ourselves, the most authentic, the most in touch with our feelings, the most capable of being in connection with other humans. And that's the part that I think we get into in this podcast that's the most beautiful and empowering. When we learn as men specifically, but as humans in general, to connect with others, we're learning to be the best versions of ourselves for ourselves, but also for each other. And we spend a fair amount of time deconstructing what happened for, you know, us as a group in Austin, Texas, where our five-day retreat took place, as well as what just this form of group therapy can mean to an individual, a man, a therapist, a, a society, and, and just the, the global neural network of all of us in connection, in, in witness and experience. And I think you're going to get a real nice flavor in this podcast for the follow-up of Traver Boehm's podcast, where we sort of looked at the framework of why Man Uncivilized took place. What's the structure behind why these groups have come to be? And now adding in the layer of how Michael Gay and in an upcoming episode, how Dewey Freeman all play into this experiential connection that leads to better outcomes for those men that witness, experience, and take place and part in the group therapy experience. So with that intro, I'm going to 
open it up to Michael Gay. Well, good afternoon, Michael. It's a pleasure to see you again. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks now since I last saw you, and it's, uh, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. It's so great to be here, man. It's an honor. Thank you. Yeah. So, you know, you've been studying men's psychological health for a long time now. You know, your work encourages and allows men to reclaim their wild side in and with nature to be their best selves, right? To that end, I wrote a few words that I wanted to be in the back of everyone's mind on this podcast as you speak to us and impart your wisdom to us. I wrote, one, men are relational beings. Two, men have to depend on others, but our culture is neither dependable nor safe right now. Men need consistency with men to find peace. Express and don't explain. Yeah. Release, don't think. Mind-based versus body-based. And ultimately be in connection. So with that backdrop of seven small phrases, let's start with your story, your journey from young man to wilderness guide to therapist to Qui-Gon Jinn or whatever people call you, Jedi for sure. Um, how did you get to the place of deciding that men's work was your mission and calling? But before you talk, can you ground us all? Can you just, for the crowd that's listening, can you just put us into a, a nice grounded space before you start giving us your wisdom? Yeah, absolutely. I love everyone that's listening to just take a pause, take a few breaths, and inhale a little bit deeper than normal and exhale long and slow out through your mouth for two to four seconds. And just see if you can tune in to the sounds that are outside. And let your breathing help you feel yourself. Tune into the larger world that's around you. And just let that be a little bit of a reset button, feeling the fullness in your rib cage, full range of breath to your lungs all the way in to all the way out. So many of us breathe shallowly in our day-to-day -day lives, breathe in the top of our lungs. So just return full range to your breath. And then we can begin. Thanks. So give us your story. Yeah. My story was largely influenced by... Um, a mix of personal and collective things. I think I grew up in a very conservative Southern family and something just happened. There really is a thing that happens in the teenage years for, for all people where a bigger chunk of the self comes online. You know, on a metaphysical level, it's almost like part of the soul comes in, like a deeper part of the soul. Um, on a more scientific level, our capacity for abstract thought kicks in, our self concept kicks in, we're forming a value system. And for whatever reason, a lot of the things that had held me up, uh, like the faith of my childhood and the culture I was in just stopped working. And the world got really big. And it's something that happened inside me. And I didn't have the framework and infra infrastructure to hold it. And so it was just this big quest to find out what's something that can really hold us. Because you know, my experience of faith and spirituality at the time was more one of, uh, it was like a cultural phenomenon. It wasn't really something that was meeting me 
in my depths and I didn't see it trying to get uh, my parents and everyone around me into their depths either. And so from the beginning, there was just this seriousness in me that came out. And um, that led to studying psychology in college and also religion and sociology. And so there was always a quest type of experience going on. And what mattered most to me was not just getting the ideas right. It was what do you do and how are you with people? And so after college, um, I had a series of formative events kind of happen. While I was in college struggling deeply, I had a very close friend uh, give me a book called Iron John and asked me to read it. And he, he seemed to struggle and burn inside in the same way that I was. And through a series of unfortunate events, he ended up taking his own life when we were in college. And his family held a, uh, a, a memorial service for him that was four days long. And while I was at this fire at his memorial, I was finishing that book and an older man saw me reading it. I was like, hey, if you like that book, you should come to these men's conferences with Robert Bly this fall. I was like, okay, I'll be there. I mean, looking back, Chris, honestly, it looks, it feels like a movie. Like you couldn't have written this. Like I was literally just reading a book. A guy saw me reading it, invited me to something. And that's when I got started doing the men's work. I got to go to the tail end of the conferences with Robert Bly and Robert Moore and Maladoma Somay and those guys mm. and John Lee um, towards the end of when they were teaching and uh, the beginning of Martin Shaw teaching and Denny Deardorff and those guys. And so that really kicked something off for me in my early 20s. I'd never been around men like that in my life. Um, There's just like a feeling of wholeness in them. And it was this intense feeling in me, like I didn't know this is possible. I didn't know a human being could feel that full and that alive and that deep and that substantive. I was so used to people not being that substantive. And here were men who were incredibly brilliant, who had built um, incredible things in their life and had done acts of great service and were teaching things and were helping other people really wake up. And it involved poetry, it involved art, it involved myth, it involved scholarship, it involved ritual, it involved people getting together, it involved the grieving, uh, it involved soul work and spirit work. Um, and it was a way of life. And so being around those men early in my life, that was, that was it. It was just seeing something like, I want to be that. How do I get to be that? How do I live that way? And that just sent me on this whole adventure of, of trying to find a way where I could give to people where I wasn't just in my head sorting things out, but I really wanted to give at the same time. And the way that life unfolded, it brought me to this thing called wilderness therapy which is basically an intensive um, healing experience for people who are really struggling, mostly for teens and young adults. So I worked straight out of college for wilderness therapy programs for about six years, um, doing really intensive work with teens in the woods. They would come to us for two to three months at a time. And it was an, an incredible experience of being healed by the wilderness, being healed in group, having an intentional healing community, um, and really making personal growth and connection and fun and meaning and uh, overcoming hardship, a way of life. And I just watched how people changed in such a short period of time. And that was really the beginning. I was like, okay, this is possible. There's a way of living and connecting and being with each other um, 
that sends people back to their lives fundamentally changed. And I think that that's been my template ever since, honestly, those early men's conference experiences and then what unfolded in wilderness. Um, because it, it has so many elements of the healing modalities that were, are missing in front country and in mainstream medicine and counseling. Um, there are things that happen out there that were more responsible for the healing that, and you're not going to find those in a therapist's office. Right. And or, so with, that, or with medicine. Yeah. Or with medicine. So it, it was the thing that broke the paradigm and I got to see it firsthand that it worked. It wasn't philosophical. It was tangible. I lived it with hundreds of kids. So basically those, those were the things that did it for me. Man. That set me on this trajectory of seeing these alternative approaches to healing and wholeness that I had never experienced. And that became my new template and everything that's happened since then is just fleshing that out deeper. Yeah. And, and so, you know, full circle for us, you know, I was out with you in Austin and got to experience your viewpoint and I find it quite just beautiful the way you see things and, you know, your classical training from mentorship is something that I think is to be, you know, espoused in the future. I lament the reality of medicine right now where some of the best physicians are retiring early because of the crazy system and leaving people behind who are no longer able to learn from the wisdom, the, the elders that are able to pass along to us that which we otherwise can't find in books. Because as you said, it's sort of this following how they are, their feeling, their living, their scholarship. And, you know, that's the one thing I noticed about you and Dewey when I was out there together is you guys have that same ability to impart that feeling along with the scholarship and everything. So I'm going to segue here and I want to take this conversation now for the vast majority of my followers on this podcast or, you know, women, the family child perspective. So, you know, when I was out there in Austin, you know, we're talking about men learning how to be true men, whatever we're defining true men to be in the current system, you know, so that we can stop this cycle of, you know, whatever it is that men are doing wrong, that's potentially adding to marriage dysfunction, spousal dysfunction, child neglect, or just how we're raising kids inappropriately based on the modern system from the old archetypes, leading to this for me, a lot of sadness in our society, you know, and the sadness then can turn into anger, can turn into all kinds of things. But let's break down your view of what a modern healthy man looks like today and how that person's in touch with their self, whatever that looks like, right? So give me an idea of what that is. I would say if I'm going to start anywhere on what health looks like, it's the first place I'm going to start is connection. And that's, that's the biggest thing I see men missing, like in my private practice and also in these initiatory experiences I do with Traver and Dewey, is that most men out there don't have very strong substantive relationships with other men. And you may have people that you love, that you care about, um, but it really is true. The friendships of men are, are in a state of, they're impoverished right now, if I can say um, it's not a, meant to be a criticism. It's meant to just be a, an awareness piece. Like you can't be a whole and thriving person without other healthy, thriving, loving people around you that are deeply a part of your life. And for whatever reason, um, some men do have it. They really do. They've, they've been lucky or they've maintained those friendships. But the main thing that I want to see and encourage 
at a certain level and depth of connection. And I think that used to come from, to some degree, work. When we were younger, it came from school. But as, as adults, there's not a way that we normally meet other men unless we have a lot of hobbies that introduce us to people or something like that. And so there really is some sort of a breakdown in the, the social network of men right now. And what I'd love to be a part of is a revolution in the culture of that, um, where the depth and the quality of the friendships evolve and change. I think that would do an immense amount. Uh, and to some extent, that is also predicated on the fact that people allow men to be vulnerable with each other in any way, shape, or form that they wish without being ridiculed. I mean, you see guys that are, you know, athletes, whatever, showing up in their vulnerable state and they're immediately ridiculed. So there's such a pushback societally against this. And meanwhile, as you clearly state, and as I clearly felt, this is some really good, powerful work that can be done if men are finding, you know, that inner self. And, and so, you know, the, to me, I think the, the part that you said to me that resonates the most is get out of your head and into your body. Totally. And, and, and I think most of us in our primal state are all in our head when we're working, when we're playing sports, whatever, we're trying to go there and then trying to find that flow state, which is body, I think, mostly. So when you're, when you're sitting with guys, you're trying to teach them to find that essence. How do you go about like beginning that process with men? Totally. Let's give a little background on, on infrastructure. One of the things in men's work that we talk a lot about that's very helpful is archetypes. And there's a guy named Robert Moore who's done a lot of writing and speaking on this. And there's a lot of different archetypes. There's not just four, but four primary ones that he likes to work with are the warrior, lover, magician, and king. And three of those four archetypes, the warrior, the magician, and the king are all doing archetypes. The lover is the only being archetype. So I do think what you see in men is a deficiency in the being, the ability to just like be, to flow, to feel, uh, to be relational, to be embodied. Um, because so much of the masculine energy is going towards doing. And there's just something, I think there's something in the hardwiring that's about that. So it means that we have to build in some structural support for, for getting people into their being self. And like you said, like there's not a lot of a, uh, it's not a normal cultural thing for men to be deep with each other, to be vulnerable with each other. I mean, this has been said for decades and decades, but it's still true. It's still true. And so the real question for me is what are we going to do about it? What makes it different? We can't just say that. You don't just say to someone, be vulnerable, and then it happens. You have to give people experiences that take them into what that means, where they can feel it. And I think that's where these weekends that Dewey and Traver and I are doing is because it needs to hit you in the heart and in the body. It needs to be facilitated to a point because once you feel it, you can't unsee it. And once you, you can't unfeel it and it fundamentally shifts the way that you experience yourself in relationship in the world. Once you know that that kind of connection is out there and you can participate in it um, without changing a whole lot, it, it, you don't have to change a bunch or grow a ton to connect that way. You can do it right as you are now, but I do think there's uh, a need for people to be creating experiences where they can go straight in and at the end of three or four days, like, holy shit, this is a reset. I didn't yeah. know it could be this way between me and other men. Do you think it's harder 
for these workshops to occur with adult men versus teenagers? Because you've dealt with both groups um, because of the teenage way of looking at the world can sometimes be a little bit different or is it the same, just different? I would say it's the same, but different. Okay. Uh, the difference I see is the amount of grief in adult men is profound. And so I think in the teenagers, there's still that grief there, but it's, it's a lot more of around desiring. There's still a very active desire for connection. They still really want it. But once adult men get habituated to the way they are and the way life is, I think they stop looking for it or wanting it so much. Um, come, they become acquiesced to sort of a, a solitary way of living. Like for a lot of men, their partner, their spouse is like their primary emotional outlet, period. And they, right. they, don't, they hardly have any others. And if you're at odds with that spouse, for some reason or another, you have no outlets, right? You so have no outlets. A, that's a very solitary, scary, sad, lonely place to be. And Absolutely. Uh, so can you, I don't know how to ask this question other than just, just let you go with it. If you're going to describe for guys who have no idea what an Austin men's experience is like, because I know I'm, I'm convinced myself personally that solitary therapy will never, ever, ever touch this group therapy that I witnessed. There's something about the keyword you said, their connection, that, yeah. that holding each other, space, mm -hmm. touch, all of that, that is incredible. Describe for the audience, you know, what happens without clearly giving any, you know, what stays in Vegas, stays in Vegas stuff, or what happens in Vegas, whatever that statement is. Yeah. Well, we've got, we've got a, a couple of different levels that we try to introduce people to on these weekends. One is a, a philosophical one. One is uh, really understanding your nature, like what Traver talks a lot about, the primal and the divine, and talking about the, the mature and integrated forms and the shadow forms, um, our imprinting around how you can be and who you can be and what the internal psychological and mental constraints are and, and how we get these, these strange cultural ideals of what masculinity might be in, in breaking them down a bit. So there's a philosophical component and there's also an experiential component around leadership. Like, and, and that's the main thing. Everything that Dewey and Traver and myself are doing, we're trying to get it to hit someone's body. It's, it's a felt experience. We don't want you to understand it in your head. We want you to feel it inside your body because that's where the learning is going to happen. So when Traver is taking you through a leadership exercise, um, you really, we, we do it in a way where it makes you like, we'll use blindfolds and things like that um, to make people feel things. The part that I do with people is, is around this group work. And, and the basic premise is that there's an immense amount of intensity that lives inside the hearts and souls of men that has no outlet in day-to-day -day life. It, they're just too big for your meditation practice or spiritual practice or your friendships or even the therapist office or to talk with your spouse about. And they, men need a place for that stuff to come online. There's a bigness in the pain they carry, the sadness, the grief they carry, the anger they carry the betrayal they carry, um, and we can hold that together. And, and so in essence, we'll focus on one man at a time, but the entire group is there to support. And it's, it's a, 
reframe that these things that you normally are afraid will get you ostracized or pushed away are actually the things that bring you closer to people. It just happens. Like when someone opens up at that level in a group where that is the intention, it's magnetic. Everyone in the room is just there. You can't help but have your heart moved and feel open by someone being open that deeply. Like, um, and that's not something you can do uh, mentally. It has to be lived. It has to be one person's real pain in front of you and you having an experience with them and knowing that your pain is very similar. Um, you can relate to this man in some shape or form um, or just the intensity of his sincerity moves you. And it's a very hard thing to describe. It's, it's fairly ineffable to some degree. I think it's a lot like people would have trouble describing a plant medicine experience. Like you go in there and so much happens that can't be put into words. And I think it is like that. But at a nutshell, it's, it's opening up these really deeply held places in the heart and in the spirits of men and having other people be with them, uh, witness them there, hold them there, connect with them there. And, um, and do that work together. Like you said, it, it's not the same as going to a therapist's office. Like it has to happen in a group. There's something about that group nervous system. Um, and there's something, something about the bigness that can't come out unless you do it in a group. And I think, you know, the two statements I made in the beginning of the podcast that to me are emblematic of what you're saying is express and don't explain. Yeah. Release and don't think. Because yeah. when I was watching these men of all shapes and sizes, walks of life, release, I mean, anger, sadness, pain, anything that was coming up, it was intense. And intense isn't even a strong enough word. I'm not too sure yeah. what the best word is above intense, but it was to witness it. Like you said, I'm a non-feeling guy. I rolled into that weekend having shoved most stuff down forever mm -hmm. and I'm living above my neck constantly. And all of a sudden I'm being dropped down to places that I've never, I've never touched, felt, seen. Mm -hmm. And, and you had no choice, but to go there. I mean, like, I'll give you the one example without naming anybody, but when somebody was going through their issues around death in their primary profession, I'm standing there holding the guy in front of me, hand on his shoulder. And I just start sobbing yeah. because my entire heart opened up to this world of kids. I saw die. And it actually right. makes me tear up right now. Believe it or not, it's crazy, right? It's that powerful that that stuff's in there and it's hiding and it's being walled off and shut down and, and, it, and like Trevor and I were talking about, it comes out sideways as, you know, voice being loud when you're yelling at your kids or frustration of something. And I, I remember another experience where one person was yelling out as loud as they could. And the guy was big. And I remember yeah. being scared. Mm -hmm. I remember sitting there going, holy shit. If I ever look like this to somebody, I can't ever raise my voice again. And that was, mm -hmm. for me, this visceral takeaway, like, I tend to be pretty mild mannered, don't raise my voice, but I, when I do, it's not pretty, right? I walked out of there going, uh-uh, that's not acceptable, right? And so that visceral feeling to me was so powerful. That I don't know, how, I, I could read that in a thousand books and it would yeah. never, ever, ever have hit me in a way that would have maybe not even changed behavior, right? And I consider myself a really calm, chill guy, but damn, that hit me like a ton of bricks. Yeah. Uh, yeah, having thoughts isn't having an experience. Sorting out our ideology and our philosophy isn't having an experience. And, and what yeah. we had were experiences. Yeah, 
And it was all body based. I mean, to your point, there was psychology, there was sure. discussion, there was all of that. But the, the, the thrust for me, at least, and again, I can only give my end of one, but the massive thrust was this huge visceral body component that said, hey, you know, you need to be going here more often, buddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't wall shit off anymore. You can't close down. Yeah. That's not okay. And, and Trevor and I talked about, you know, we both had little T's. We never had any big T traumas. Mm -hmm. But I've heard you say before, trauma is not accessible easily by mind-based therapy. So let's talk about that a little bit. Why not? Sure. It's, it's, well, first of all, on a more scientific level, it's stored in parts of the brain that can't be accessed by language. So most therapeutic modalities use language and talking and understanding. And if the words aren't getting you into the felt experience, you're still just dancing around it. There have to be you have to use non-cognitive and non-verbal approaches to accessing this stuff in the first place. I mean, take a look at Bessel van der Kolk's book, The Body Keeps a Score, like really goes into this deeply. Like we so that's part of the weekend too, is, is setting things up like breath work and this group work where it hits the body. And that's what I'm, that's just, we say body-based. It's just something experiential. It's something felt. It's visceral inside you. It's all of it. It's your mind, your, your heart, your spirit, all at the same time. Um, so that's, that's really the goal is to get it to land inside someone. Um, this isn't coming to a lecture. It's not coming to sort out your view or your understanding of things. But I, th I think that, you know, we could spend some time on how we got here in modern medicine and psychology, but there's, there's a blessing and a curse to institutions. I mean, they, they do wonderful things at furthering knowledge and wisdom and standards, but often the things that are really embodiments of like a living wisdom are, you're not going to find them in institutions. And for whatever reason at this day and age, if you're going to teach, you don't have to teach in university only anymore. You can create your own course. So many of the most gifted teachers don't teach in university anymore. University is sort of like beholden to its own bureaucratic constraints. And so the really gifted teachers are not there anymore. Right. Likewise, the modalities that really work are outside of that, that paradigm. And I'm not saying there's nothing in that paradigm that works, but to really take people all the way to health, especially in realms of the heart and the soul, like, you know, that's never been the strong suit of science. Right. Not, and it's not supposed to be. Right. But, but we are, if we're really going to take people into healing, that's the territory we have to traverse with people. We have to be willing to get out of those boxes and these experiential modalities are the way. Yeah. And I think about that just being a practicing pediatrician, right? So I'm going into these rooms with kids coming in with big T's and some of them coming with little T's for traumas. And I'm going to prescribe Paxil, Zoloft and expect sure. change. It's, it's sure. idiotic, right? And so yeah. I'm looking at this now from the perspective of, again, how do we get society to shift where this is now the norm, right? Where there's a collective consciousness around healing each other's traumas in group, in collaboration, in networking friendships. And like you said, the collective biology of the neural network, when we're all together, 
the quantum physics will figure this out someday. And it's going to be cool yeah. as hell when the physics figures yeah. out what's actually going on, which is yeah. where my brain's yeah. going right now. Nice. But the emotional side of me is like, I don't care what the quantum physics says. I know this is working on an emotional level and, a, and a, like you said, an experiential level. So I would love to see medicine now shift and say, hey, do we need a double blind placebo controlled study? The standard gold way of proving right or wrong or do we just have people getting better? Because <laughs> essentially, I just want people better, right? Yeah, yeah. And I can tell you, Paxil and Zoloft and, and these drugs are not making people better. They're temporizing, they're, they're dampening the wound, they're stopping maybe the blood flow. But the emotional wounds, I think I've heard you say again, we tourniquet off the injury and yeah. it just stagnates. It's just sitting totally. there. Totally. I remember, so, keep going. No, no, you go. I remember I was put on those medications as a teenager, but it was wild, Chris. I remember being in the psych psychiatrist's office saying like, I don't have a problem chemically. Like I know that this is like a spiritual and personal problem. I can tell you what it is right. and I can tell you like why I'm struggling. Like I just didn't have anybody that could join me in right. the, the solution and, and hang in that territory um, of the inner world that I really needed people to hang in. Um, and I, for, for whatever reason in these, these Western models, it is hard for people to go into the depths of, of pain and grief and suffering. And um, because again, I don't think people know what to do, right? Like you're just with all this intensity and what do you do with it? Um, but there's, that's the great thing. You, we saw it happen when we got in groups with a specific intention, the group knows what to do. The group yeah. knows how to move it. Like we do so, know, we just have to create the container where it'll happen. So go there. Cause that, you're going to segue right into something else. I was thinking about ritual. Yeah. How yeah. does ritual play into all this? Ritual to me, part of what it is, is an acknowledgement. I think there's a certain level of intensity that is not meant to be maintained all the time in our day-to-day -day life. And ritual is a time that says we're going to have a certain level of intensity of focus or prayer or energy for a certain period of time. That's not sustainable, but it's still important for our health. And what a ritual is, is we put a, a container and a boundary around when it happens and for how long. And we also give the energy a container to stay in. Um, and so that's like the loose formula for ritual, but it's ritual is something that's deep in the human psyche. It's just in there. Like we do it spontaneously and naturally. I mean, I, I used to work in addiction recovery a lot and it is astounding how ritualized drug use is. You know, pe people will use their, their implements of ingesting their substances like holy things like they will lay it out they'll clean it they'll keep it safe they'll um they they like to organize things out on a table and look at it and they have like different fairly ritual pieces i just use that as an example like we're really ritual beings yeah. so it's it's something that's in us and so if we're trying to understand how to do deep healing you use the infrastructure that's there humans have an infrastructure that understands ritual you don't even have to explain it to them they'll just get it if you take like, that's what that group work is that we did. That was a ritual. And we didn't have to really explain it to anybody. I told you a little bit about what might happen and what we're going to do and for how long and how it would look. Right. 
But what actually happened, like the substantive part, like all of you just knew, like it was, it was like a, a group mind experience. Like it was a deeper thing where we just knew how to operate. And, I, and I'll put a little color on that too, because it was quite incredible to me. I think it was on the second to last day where one, one gentleman was in the middle going through his work and halfway through his work, another guy on the outside started going through his work. Yeah. And a bunch of us who were not given, like you said, no context on what to do in case X happens. You just saw this organic amoeba peel off. Yep. Half the guys just sort of in their own way peeled off to surround that other guy. The first group was gone and finished. And invariably, two groups ended up finishing when there was no guidance, nothing. It was just this, this essence of feeling, this is what I need to do. And I, I ended up going with the second group. And I remember looking right and left, like a tennis match, like six times, where do I go? Yeah. And just going, I'm going right. And I went right. And, yeah. and it just felt right. And coming back to the point again, in my head, I was trying to choose, but it was my heart that chose right. to go right. And yeah. I think that says so much to me about how life again, for me needs to be less in my head, more in my body and in my heart. And so that's something again, that I will keep hammering home, this group work is incredibly giving for those willing to receive, right? And I came in with no preconceived notions at all, actually, of what it was going to be, but just a wide open, let's see where it goes. If anyone is listening to this now and says, I'm going to Colorado next or one of these sessions, whether it's Men Uncivilized, Sacred Sons, any of the groups, just go blind open. Let it be. It's amazing. It's going to come to you. And, and guys like Michael and Dewey and Traver are going to watch you and you're going it, to, it's, it's phenomenal, folks. So for those listening, that's from my heart what I'm telling you. So I want to segue again, Michael, and I want to talk a little bit about another statement you said once in a podcast I listened to. The feminists threw the baby out with the bathwater. All masculinity is toxic, i.e. Now we have good guys who aren't safe. I know that's one of the archetypes that Tra Traver talks a lot about. You know, with our modern man, we're looking more for them to be in touch with the body, right? And the feeling. What are we telling our spouses, our mothers, our women, when we're coming back with our statements from your perspective? What are we telling them when we come back from these experiences? These experiences are just coming back from learning this, this new way of living, man uncivilized. We're coming back and then we're telling them why the feminist statement of throwing the baby out with the bathwater of all masculine is toxic really makes no sense anymore. Yeah, I mean, that the feminism statement probably deserves more nuance. I mean, because that's too big of an umbrella. I think there's certain sects of, of feminism that definitely don't see it that way. I'm definitely in full support of. But yeah, all masculinity isn't toxic. It's really not. There's beautiful, important, powerful, life-giving things there. Um, Robert Bly has a statement in Iron John, and he says that, that nice men are life-preserving, but they're not life-giving. They're life-preserving, but they're not life-giving. They, they know how to like not harm, but they don't know how to give life. Like there's a certain quality of like um, fierceness and seriousness of purpose 
and uh, a, a kindness without empowerment is is impotent in a way. And so I think the goal is to, and I think men through the baby out with the bathwater too, to like see the emotional world or the depth of pain and feeling that those are like things you do as a child that only like children express that. Like so many men describe that when they get overwhelmed with feeling, they feel little. Right. And and I think that shows a real gap in our model as men. Like, how come we don't have the infrastructure for what it looks like for an incredibly powerful, successful, caring, integrated man to really be deep in grief or anger or pain uh, and somehow being there mm, makes him less desirable or less trustable or uh, weak or something like that. There's just got to be a shift. Like there really is a way for that to bring more wholeness and more aliveness to that being. Like it's not a threat. It's not a compromise. It's not a weakness. It, and, it, and I think we need people out there that are great representatives of that being a strength. Um, like you said, like these guys that we were with, you know, some military guys that have seen some really heavy shit, you know, like who's going to argue that they can hold their shit together, but they need to be going through this grieving process too for all the stuff that they carry. Um, I got a little off track on your question there. No, 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 it's fine. Actually, I have to apologize because I, I pulled yeah. the I pulled the journalistic uh, faux pas on you and just took the feminist throughout the debut of the bathwater co- out of context from actually your statement. So that's yeah. a faux pas on my part. I apologize. Thank okay. you for nuancing it. Yeah. Um, but you know, I I know when I came back from the five days and I had that in my head, masculinity. What does it look like? Is there toxicity there? And looking in the mirror at myself, and I came home saying, okay, my guiding light has to be now, I'm going to show up safe for everybody at all times. And I can't show up unsafe to my wife, to my son, to my daughter. And I need to show them what a real man looks like. And that real man is going to be intense when I need to be, but soft and gentle and not unsafe. Right. And, and I think to me, that was my take home point. I know every guy coming out of that probably had their own take home point. Um, but I, I really wanted my wife to know when I got home that my ethos now is around her safety. And, and to Traver's point, that's not guns and alarms. That's emotional safety that I'm going to show up for her when she needs me as best I can in a way that she can do what she needs to do. I can hold space for her if she needs held space, whatever it is. And in my head, I can't do that. And I was very dysfunctional with that to some extent for, <laughs> for a long time. And uh, yeah. So yeah, I think I got a little off track too, but that's a, uh, no, you're that's, good. That's, that's, okay. that's the goal. Like to, to help men be relational beings in a, yeah. in a deeper, deeper way. And also to not lose who they are. They've really got to know who they are um, and, and feel empowered in that. So there has to be that authenticity that, um, that infuses the kindness and the relationality with the sincerity. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and to other points, like, you know, men have intensity, like you, like you're saying, and, and anger sometimes is an intensity we have, but learning to channel it effectively totally, 
not sideways at a family member or somebody who you know is not going to walk away or whatever. That's massively important. And I think, again, another one of the great teaching points that, that you guys put out there, and it seems intuitive that we'd all know that anyway, but yet most of us, to some extent, allow ourselves to fall down in front of our loved ones more than anyone else because of the, uh, and I know with siblings, they treat themselves the worst or each other the worst, sorry, because they know they're not going anywhere. And we need to have that paradigm changed as well. I mean, that's how we cut our teeth, I guess, as siblings, but as a husband and a wife, that's not okay, right? Um, hmm. So I want to segue again. Sure. You know, you've been doing this work for a long time. And like you said, in different modalities and different space, what what brought you on the journey with Traver and Dewey? Yeah, my, my relationship with Dewey came first. Um, when I was working wilderness therapy down in Durango, Colorado, there was a therapist that worked there named Jonathan Mitchell, who's phenomenal. And he was working with teenage boys. And so in wilderness therapy, I get to work with a lot of different therapists. And this guy was just another level of genius. And he was getting teenage boys dropped in to really deep space, pretty much every conversation, which is hard to do if you've ever talked to teenage boys or tried to get them yeah. to work on themselves. Yeah. And I couldn't understand it. And I was really in my head at the time to some degree, just like, is it, you know, he's like using that word and repeating it. It's like, how is he doing this? I, I was thinking of it very technically. And um, so I was just asking him about it one morning and uh, he got me up early and we sat around the fire together and he just, let me play the client for a little bit. And he dropped me into some of the deepest emotional space I'd ever been in in my life in five minutes. And I was just like, how do you know how to do this? And he mentioned Dewey's name. And uh, so that became an intention of mine. Like, I want to meet this guy. I want to learn from him. Um, because Dewey is an embodiment of a certain kind of living wisdom. Like he's not going to be able to explain to you in like a book format what he's doing you have to feel it and i think the best of the living wisdom traditions are that way it's something that has to be experienced being to being like you have to feel it in someone's presence it like arrives out of the moment there's no um philosophy that's going to help you respond and and do what dewey does it's a it's a way of life it's a way of being and you, it's something that you just have to get into your body by being around it and feeling it. And so Dewey just has, he hits home runs all the time, like no one I've ever seen. And I think a large part of that is his connection to the wild and to horses. And that a lot of his principles that he works with are, are energetic. And there's a simplicity in what he uh, teaches and embodies, but it's a kind of simplicity that that allows the depth to go all the way. Like it doesn't get sidetracked. It's just a simple track that goes all the way to the center of an issue with people. And he's like an archer that way. He just knows how to like get the arrow, like through the, through the woods to the target. And, um, and so with Dewey, it's his experiential piece. I also think Dewey embodies the role of elder extremely well. And I think that there's something about that that people are hungry for to have a man who's you know in his 70s really speak to you as a, as a powerful deeply heartfelt human um, it changes a man to have that um, that kind of energy from someone like that 
and someone who means it. Um, Dewey is, you know, he means everything he does and he says. He's not a, he's not a performer. He, right. He's squarely in a being archetype all the time. Yeah. And, and he has a lot of help from the horses. And, and I think you can feel the old world way inside of him. Um, and in terms of, and so I, I learned with, from Dewey starting in 2015 and have continued training with him um, at the Gestalt Institute and Gestalt Equine Institute. And, and then I met Traver. I'd heard about him through a friend and uh, got his book. And I, I met Traver at a Sacred Sons event. Um, he had been invited to come and I was finishing his book when he walked in the room. I was like, I just held up his book and like waved <laughs> to him and he was like, we're going to be friends. <laughs> and um, so we, we, and he jumped in to my group work that I was leading, like you saw me do. And he just was able to hang like without knowing, he just understood. I could watch, I could know that he understood how this stuff worked. And I was very impressed by that. And I also think Traver's sincerity, like there's a seriousness of purpose mixed with a heartfelt, um, genuine love and care for the world. And he's incredibly generous and humble and uh, powerful and ambitious and just not a lot of e ego in him in that way. Um, he, he managed to be incredibly powerful without having an intense amount of ego. And, um, and he's brilliant. And, yeah. and I'm, I'm blown away by how, uh, how much creativity flows through him all the time. He's really learned how to turn that on. And so just have an immense amount of respect for him. Yeah. And he's shown me the same. So I think there's just a trust. So I introduced him to Dewey several years ago, which is like, Hey, you need to meet a mentor of mine. And um, it was just game on from day one. They had a great connection with each other that recorded a podcast together. And I think it's Traver's most listened to episode on his podcast. And, um, and we've just, we each play different roles that overlap enough to support each other, but are different enough that we don't step on each other's toes. Um, we eat, each embody a different piece. And uh, I think there's a wholeness that's created through the three of us that wouldn't be there if it was just one of us. Yeah, I would agree. You're a synergy. Um, yeah. your, your, your triumphant is a synergy that allows for incredible work to be done. And again, I, my brother-in-law, uh, Graham, you know, was the person who excited, you know, enticed me to go and said, you're going to just love this thing and, and gave each one of you a name. I think he, you know, he called you Obi-Wan. He called, uh, he called, uh, Dewey Yoda. And he just said, Traver's the man. And he said, when you meet these three guys, I'm not even gonna tell you what's going on. You'll know. And it's true. Cause when I met you guys, each one of you, it's just this energetic experience where you guys are authentic. You know, you are unabashedly who you are and without masks. And it's so refreshing, right. In a world of masks to see three people who are just themselves and showing up for themselves and us. Like, right? and, you know, I think of Traver, the words that come to mind are assertive and, yeah. and, and glue. He's a, he's a glue. He holds totally. people together in that room. He's like just sitting there and, and energetically just holding everyone together. And I remember him, you know, off, off site telling me after the last episode, he got a little bit um, uh, ill with, a, with an infection afterwards, I think, because he's putting so much energy into the glue. Totally. You know, it takes a, it takes a hit on the immune system from, from the science side of my brain. 
And so there's work for him. And I know he's told me there's work to do there, but I think the beauty of your work is that, that, that synergy is, is like nothing I've seen personally in my existence outside of maybe the synergy of three great physicians in a room working a case together without ego. That's about the closest I've probably ever been to that. Um, so yeah, it's a beautiful thing. And I, and, I, and I love the way you categorize both of them. I'm looking forward to having Dewey on, the, on a podcast coming up soon. So let me, let me finish with one last piece, because I think sure. this was another part that people need to understand um, in order to get sort of a, a full picture of what these experiences are. You guys added horses. I know Dewey is classically trained in horse therapy for a long time. You've been trained as well for, for quite many years now. What does the horse addition bring to the group week, five-day experience? Horses are, they just do something to us as people. They do. It's a, it's a, like what happens inside a human being when they're around horses is very unique. Um, the power that they have, the sincerity that they have. Horses are an energetic mirror. They're bullshit detectors um, and they're energetic beings. And so one thing that we're, we, they're there for is to remove all the bullshit and the masks that we wear and things that we do uh, that cloud relationship. And they're, they're going to be a reflection to you of what your energy is like. Are you connected? Are you attuned? Are you aware? Are you congruent? Um, are you soft? Are you rigid? Are you in control? Um, do you trust? Do you know how to be in a relationship? You know how to be in a powerful place. Do you know how to be in a co-created place. Um, and also with horses, there's a lot of touch involved. Um, someone can meet a horse for the first time and they don't go through the same complications of trust and fear that they do meeting people for the first time. Like a person can meet a horse and within you know, 10 seconds, that horse might put its face on your chest and that person will just like melt into the horse. You're not gonna do that with another human being but it's important for us to have these experiences with other beings where we can just come in and connect um, and feel really safe and dropped in and trusting. So it really is a way, part of what we're trying to do at these weekends too, is to remind people how much of life is energetic and experiential, way more than we are in touch with. Um, so they're just one of the ultimate reflections of that. Like you can't use your words. They totally just respond to energy. And, it, and they're a mirror to you of your energy. And so that's the main reason that we have them there is, um, is it connects us to something really old and primal. It connects us to um, a quality, an energetic quality of relationship and keeps it very simple. And if we could understand those principles, like if you could get really good with horses in your relational principles, then you can probably get really good with people too. If you really know what's happening inside you energetically, do you know what's happening inside them? You know how to bring it down, bring it up, uh, lead, follow, be attuned, be attuned to. Um, so that's really the reason is to, in the interest of keeping it simple and um, highlighting the parts of relationship that are really important and that matter most. Could you, I'd love to explain the one 
big instance we had there, but again, for purposes of the person that went through it, we can't. Do you have any uh, non-specific experiences you could talk about, about how horse therapy made a huge difference? Because again, what I saw was just mind blowing, um, but not easy to speak to. Uh, horses are, there's real magic that happens with them. I was, um, there's a professor in Europa who has a horse farm just north of Boulder. And he was out telling us about some of his horses. And one of his clients was in there who he just basically asked his client to go out into the arena and sort of build a representation of how he feels. So he went out and he put himself in this center place and used all the jumps and the barrels and everything to lock him in this little container because he felt cut off from everything. Like he was just in this prison cell alone. And one of the horses at this farm just like would not let up eye contact with him, kept circling the, the barricades and then started removing with his mouth and hooves these obstacles to come in and come into contact head to chest with this man. I mean, it almost brings me to tears to talk about it. Wow. Um, you can't explain that. Yeah. You can't explain that. I mean, we have horses at a farm that I'll go to um, that I know uh, have had their babies taken from them. And I know this about their biography. And there's just something energetically that they do. They will go over to a kid in my group that I'm bringing to the farm who is suicidal or is in like a really dark place. This, and there's just something the horse knows in the energy of that person. And they'll come and just stand by them um, as an ally, as a resource. Um, Dewey will tell these stories and I have them in my limited experience too of like people who have been abused. The horse will come between other people and that person just saying like, I'm, I'll protect you. I've got you. And I can't tell you what that does to have a being like that understand the depth of, I need to protect you and I've got you. Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, so that's why they're there because they're magic. Yeah. And, and the magic of that explanation of the hooves, hooves moving away, the obstacles is mm -hmm. different, but, similar to the magic that I saw when I was there. So it, it is quite amazing. I remember looking <laughs> to the gentleman to my right going, do you see what I just saw? Totally. <laughs> just like, just like, almost like you, you watch magic, you know, I, yeah. you know, like David Copperfield or something. He's like, yeah. And then you see more, you're like, do you see that? He goes, yeah. I'm like, oh my God, that's <laughs> unreal. Totally. And, and so, you know, I think uh, what, again, energy medicine, quantum physics, whatever's coming. I'd love to learn that part, but for now, <laughs> I'm so comfortable knowing that that's just what happens. It's, it's, uh, it's amazing. Cause you know, again, in pediatrics, I've known horse therapy with autistic kids for quite a while really? has been going on all this other stuff, but never experienced it and have sent many kids for it. And now I'm like, Oh, this is incredible. Incredible. So, um, one last thing, sure. and then I'm going to let you just, if, if you have anything else you want to add, I'm going to let you go with it. But you said another thing once that I absolutely loved, because um, I use the word surrender. Yeah. 
And I remember you saying, do not surrender, accept instead with power. Talk about that nuance, because that's, I mean, it's, it's semantic on words, but boy, is it powerful when you really understand it. Yeah. I, I think that I certainly will advocate for there are certainly appropriate times to just surrender. But I, there's a way that that word, especially for men, it causes people to dissociate a little bit. It causes people to kind of like pop out and like not really be in the experience. And really accepting while being in a place of power, um, it means that you're not leaving energetically. It means that you're really taking it all the way in. It means that you're not, your self-structure isn't collapsing. Um, it means that you're letting whatever it is deeply inside and letting it affect you and change you. Um, and there's something about doing that willfully that's just transformative. It's one of those acts of heart or soul that has the power to fundamentally change a person. When you can really let the reality of whatever's around you or of your biography or your truth, whatever it may be, to land deeper inside. Um, but so to have what I mean by with power it means to like um, to not lose yourself, to not fragment, to not dissolve. Um, you stay yourself, but it comes inside. Yeah, it's it's trying to describe an energetic phenomenon that's hard to put words to. Yeah, um, yeah. I think you know I love Stoic philosophy, and mm. to me, this is another way of adding on to the work teachings of Marcus Aurelius. Right. So, you know, so much of of what we need to do is accept our situation in life with power, as you're stating, letting it wash into us, through us, change us, be a part of it, but not make us weaker in the process. And I think when I think of it now, after going through the five days with you guys, surrendering offers up a set of weakness that doesn't serve the purpose of me, myself, as a soul-based creature you know, as a, as a relational being, because if I become weaker, I'm not able to be stronger for my children, my wife, my family to accept with power for me is like, okay, I accept what's happening now sucks. So for example, if somebody in the house gets cancer, I'm going to accept that reality because it is a reality, but I'm going to accept it with a power that I'm going to be the, the energetic being within the room for everyone to hold on to for strength and be right. together in this existence of whether it be the suffering of the moment or the arriving at the healing state at the end, wherever that is on that elongated time frame, that's sort of what I took away from your work again, you know, because I have a lot of days to think about it since I was with you and, and, you know, getting deeply philosophical and thought provoked about these things. It's, it's, it's really, it's a beautiful thing to meld this again, because again, in my head constantly, I'm thinking Stoic philosophy, Ego is the enemy, blah, 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 blah. But now there's feeling there. It's so, I, I, I don't know, for all of you listening, I don't know how to explain this to you, but if you're in your head all the time, you're going to now have a whole new part of your existence that is so refreshing and enlightening because words now have completely different meaning. I could tell you as a child, I'm a drummer. I love rock music, loved heavy metal. I never listened to lyrics ever. 
So if my mother grabbed an album and said, these lyrics are terrible, I said, I don't know, I don't care, I don't listen to them. Because they didn't, they didn't mean much to me. It, for me, it was the beat, the rhythm, the sound. Now I'm going back and listening to the lyrics of stuff. And it's like, what have I been missing for 51 years? Like, what happened here? And so, yeah, I love it. Totally, man. Any, any other thoughts about your work, the weekend, human existence in general, Twitter, Elon Musk, anything? <laughs> <laughs> I just want to advocate for people doing things that, that get themselves into this space, that, you know, get out there, explore like Five Rhythms Dance or 360 Dance, something like that. Do some breath work. Um, be in art, play some music, uh, spend a lot of time outside, um, read some Alexander Lowen, like really learn to go into this part of life. It's, there's a richness that's waiting for us when we really learn how to go here together. Yeah. And I think that that's the message we've got is there's a richness that is available that we've lost and that we can get back to. Yeah, that's what beautiful. We, about. Yeah, what we thought was a threat is really a, a buried treasure. Yeah, it's beautiful. And you know, it just came in the mail yesterday. Iron John. Nice, man. I got my copy, so I will be reading it in the near future and looking really forward to now that I've had some time to process my father's death and all the other things going on. I'm ready for the next steps of this process and this uh, this journey. And I, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being a part of my journey in 2021 and 2022, because it's been it's been exceptional. And And you are an exceptional being my friend and and whether you're Qui-Gon Jinn or Obi-Wan Kenobi I haven't I haven't seen the lightsaber yet so when that happens I will know which one it is um, but you are you are phenomenal you are phenomenal yes, Michael. so great to yeah. know you it's a pleasure and and thank you for your time your hour and for everybody listening I am amazed at how good the technology is today this is a zoom call from Davidson North Carolina to the island of Maui in the middle of the Pacific Ocean Wrap your brain around that for a second. <laughs> it's, it's incredible. My friend, love you. Love, it, man. love you too, man. Yeah. And uh, we will, we will talk touch. soon. Yeah. I love that. Take care, man. All right. Take care. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Michael Gay. I find him to be one of the most stimulating gentlemen that I've spoken to in the last few years. Uh, his depth of feeling, understanding, desire, uh, just the whole package of wanting to look deeply into men's psyche and how we can be better versions of ourselves. And I want to be clear about this. This is not to say that men are the only ones with work to do. Women have work to do in the bilateral relationship when it's women and men together or whatever relationship you find yourself in, men to men, women to women, um, sibling to sibling, child to parent, parent to child. The relationship in and of itself is key to having a healthy life. And in this case, we're very specific about what we're talking about. And we're talking in most cases about how men can be better versions of themselves. But again, everyone has work to do throughout our entire lives to be the best versions of ourselves, to show up for each other, for our own best sense of well-being and for a societal sense of well-being. Michael has such beautiful insights into what that should look like. And I want to restate the seven premise statements in the beginning. Men are relational beings. 
Men have to depend on others, but our culture is neither dependable nor safe. Men need consistency with other men to find peace. Express and don't explain. Release, don't think. Mind-based versus body-based. And finally, be in connection. And I think that last one again is so emblematic of what we really want to see happen. We want men who are in connection with other men and women and parents and children in a way that allows us to be healthy until the end of our lives, right? There's such a dearth of connection in older men now that the sadness and the aloneness and the isolation is causing much problem with men in their elderly years and even their later 40s and 50s. And that's places we don't want to see men fall into by themselves without others. I think of the group F3 that is all around the Charlotte and, and, and national markets for men trying to connect with other men in a way that brings faith, fellowship, and fitness together, the, the pillars of a good, healthy self, right? Spending time working on your body, your temple, you know, talking about what it's like to eat healthy and take care of yourself, talking about your faith, whatever that means, and being in fellowship with others when you're struggling or not struggling, right? If you're not struggling, you're there for others. If you are struggling, they're there for you. This, this collective connection is key. And for me, I think of here, ego is the enemy, right? So if you're ego-based, you're not wanting to be with other men. You want to, you know, be in power over other men. And that's not useful. You know, we want to hold space and witness other people's suffering, right? And for men, that's hard, right? But now, if you're in groups with other men during a day-to-day existence or in a five-day retreat weekend or whatever it may be, there's an allowance point there for your vulnerability to shine, right? I use that term loosely, shine, because, you know, vulnerability is not something we think about in a shining way. But boy, man, what could it be beautifully done if you are shining your vulnerability in a way that allows others to be vulnerable? Therefore, everyone's doing healing together in a very just, you know, strong, unapologetic, authentic, safe way, right? Working against the shadow sides of ourselves, the weaknesses, the prey instincts, the the arrogance, manipulative, mask, boundaryless type of behaviors that we have, the workaholics, or or the other sides of our shadow, the primal shadow, where we're angry, abusive, controlling, shameful, addicted, loners, numb to feeling, all of those things. We want to get rid of all that stuff and become more primal light and divine light, emotional, loving, empathic, compassionate, mission-oriented, purposeful, surviving, unapologetic again, and, and, and being, being great providers, right? This is where we want to be. And we want to be assertive with it, heart-based, not aggressive and head-based. You know, we want to accept with power instead of surrendering to something, right? I thought we talked a lot about that in the last two podcasts, how important that can be for all of us moving forward to be, again, working on our stuff. We're relational beings. We really want to depend on each other. And I hope this podcast sort of gave you an understanding of why that is so powerful when men are struggling, right? And, and I think we need to express our energies, whatever that looks like. 
in a way that's safe and societally okay, right? And let's let that stuff go. Become our wild men again that we have inside, whatever that means again, whether it's art or drawing or bow and arrows or hunting or playing drums or it's irrelevant. It's released. It's good. Want that intense energy to be channeled in a way that's beneficial. You know, how do we create safety for all in our relationships, right? For me, it's not showing up ever with anger, not controlling, right? Working super hard on just being an empathetic and witness-based self and holding space for others, my wife, my children, my family in any way, shape, or form. And I I don't want to see in myself a side of that shadow coming alive that's dysfunctional. Now, do I know it's going to come up? Probably. I hope it doesn't. I'll try my best not to let it, but I'm imperfect. I think we all are. But I certainly am going to be much more aware of when it's showing itself and how to apologize for it if it does show itself. And I'm going to try and work myself personally on releasing and not thinking, expressing, and trying not to explain, just being, right? Something I'm not very good at. I'm a talker. I'm a verbal hyper creature. And I'm going to try and be a little more body-based instead of polarized to the mind-based side, right? And really trying to work at being an example for others, my kids, so they can learn to be a little more heart-based and feeling-based and whatever it is. Wherever you find yourself on that spectrum, right? If you're too heart-based and not enough mind-based, maybe that's your work, right? Whatever that is, it's irrelevant to me where your work is. It's only relevant that you're thinking about it and trying to work on it. And I think Michael's made it very clear how powerful this work can be towards your healing. Again, wherever that is for you, wherever on the spectrum you are. So for me, I would love to see people not tourniquet off their emotional wounds and they allow their emotional wounds to be released, whether that's through therapy or in connection with your loved one, your friends in F3 or whatever it takes. Let those emotional wounds out. Let's not let that stagnate off, tourniquet it off so that it becomes a part of us and you know becomes you know, a, a place where the body tells the score, where your, your injuries are stacking up because you're stuck with all of this negative emotional baggage from somewhere in your life, wherever that may be. And with that, you know, I think that's sort of the sum total of why I think these podcasts with these three gentlemen, Dewey Freeman to be up next, are so powerful. The sharing of this wisdom that is, you know, not being taught in medical schools and in primary education centers for us men to learn how to be better. And so I hope that I've done you a service by providing an access point to Traver Boehm and now Michael Gay and to be seen soon Dewey Freeman so you all can learn and then go on your journey, however that looks for you. As with all things, I hope you can hug those kids today, give them lots of love, be vulnerable, but most importantly now, be authentic, be unapologetic, and above all, be safe. Have a great day. If this podcast resonated with you, I would love it if you would share it with another man 
or group of men that could grow from it. The typical scenario I look at is like a group of F3 men or another group that you may belong to. Uh, I hope that this information resonates with you and then them and then as many men as Michael Gay's words can touch. So for me, it's about experiential learning, right? And so the experience will come following the words that help guide us on the path that we need to get on. And hopefully many of us, if not all of us, will someday learn from experiential side of these teachings. So I hope, you know, again, that this becomes part of your lexicon of learning in and how you live. And, you know, furthermore, if you did enjoy this podcast, go to Apple Podcasts and give it a rating. Uh, that's how I learn what people love and don't love. So with that, have a great day. Now for the disclaimer. The information provided in this podcast is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for advice or treatment by your healthcare professional and is not to be used to diagnose or treat a health issue. This podcast does not constitute the development of a provider-patient relationship.